Welcome back to the Oscar Rewind Podcast. I'm here once again with the beautiful Andrea Tennis to discuss the next film on our journey through all the Best Picture nominations from the Academy itself. And to wrap up the year of 1993 for the 1994 Oscars, we have probably one of the biggest Oscar winners of all time, one of the biggest films that the Academy had, and that is the one and only Schindler's List, directed by Steven Spielberg himself. Andrea has seen this movie before, as have I. Is this the first film both of us have seen before? Yeah, but I don't think I watched the whole thing, because this is a really long film, and at a young age, I just don't think I could have made it through this. Yeah, I, I didn't think you were going to make it through it now. Oh my goodness. There you go. <laughs> Why? You it's know. a classic. That's true. And we did do it in two sittings. Yeah, yeah like, that probably helps. We had things to do. This yeah. is a three hour and 15 minute show. It's too long, but it's good. I th- There's a lot going on there. I think they could, cut a, could have cut a little bit, but it was good. Too long, but it's good. That's yeah. that's Andrew's review. Yeah, it is. You should be a professional critic. Um, I think I could do it. Yeah. I think my takes are pretty hilarious. At least you tell me they are sometimes. Yeah. I wonder how much we talk about this on the podcast, but it, it can't be understated. Andrea's love for the length of the movie. I always, Whenever I give her like two options for her to choose from, she Googles both the movies and then picks whichever one's the shortest of the two. She doesn't look at who stars in it or what it's about or if it's modern or from the 40s, and none of that matters. If it is the shortest of the two options, that is what she wants to watch. Yeah, that means I get to go to sleep sooner, typically. (laughs) Yeah, so this would have been the last movie Andrew would have ever picked in a lineup because it's so long. I just like short movies, what can I say? That's true. But this one was really phenomenal so i'm i'm glad that i i sat through it yeah if only schindler's list was shorter right maybe you should have just had a smaller list would have been faster no no he needs a big list <laughs> yeah. very early on in the movie andrew leaned in and was like is schindler the good guy or the bad guy and i went well that'd be pretty awkward if like the main villain of the movie was the title of the film schindler's list uh, i'm pretty sure he's the good guy yeah, I didn't know what was going on. I was legit lost, but what is it? Liam Nelson? Liam Neeson. Liam Neeson could never be a bad guy. Or maybe he has been. I don't know his filmography. So that is Schindler's List. Probably one of the most well-recognized films, you know, at least for the Oscars. Um, it's no Jaws or Raiders of the Lost Ark, but when it comes to the kind of films you would expect to see at the Oscars, uh, this is probably one of the more well-known ones and probably one of the most well-recognized winners, uh, especially the ones we've discussed. Of the 10, I'd say Rocky's the most well-known and then probably this one. I would say this is it's probably yeah. up there for one of the most recognized wins. Yeah, I know. It's definitely one of the most Oscar-ish films I think we've watched so far for this podcast yeah well yeah this is very much the thing the academy likes biopics war they just love feeling depressed breaking my heart yeah uh, black and white a they're a sucker crying. for that yeah yeah <laughs> like you're going for like the emotional side of things yeah that too it was an emotional yeah. film i think this is one of the more emotional films and just thinking about it makes me want to be emotional because of what it's based on yeah uh is this steven spielberg's first win as the director has he won as a director before Hmm. interesting i'm asking a question i wasn't just making a statement oh i have no idea i thought you were looking it up that's why i just chimed in i am looking it up right now it looks like this is his first best director win uh first of only two actually such a clean director. He has not won much. But he did win big. This is obviously his most successful film, Academy-wise. For Schindler's List, it got a large bulk of the nominations and wins. Over 
the run of the five films that we watched and discussed for this year, uh, I believe we kept saying, where'd all the wins go, right? Like, this movie got 10 nominations, this movie got nine, but like, one of them got a win and the other one got none. Like, like where are all the wins going, right? Like, what's going on this year? And Schindler's they pretty much, yeah, yeah, they pretty much. Took, Schindler's yeah. like, let me add this to yeah. my list. Yeah, Schindler's got. A, I was about to say they got a second list here, and it's yeah. of all the awards they won. I uh, got nominated for lead actor, supporting actor, costume, makeup, and sound. So it got nominated but didn't win five of those awards. It did win though, best picture, art direction, cinematography directing editing score and adapted screenplay so it walked away with seven of the 12 wow wow and on, honestly i think all those ones are deserved yeah honestly <laughs> like I really yeah. i really feel strongly towards this film um yeah they really use the black and white aspect to play off a lot of the story yeah, I would say it was deserving of those seven wins. You know, in comparison to the five that we did see, at least. I, I do think it was probably the strongest in all five of those categories. Sorry, in all seven of those categories. Uh, I'm trying to look at the films that we have seen and the categories that it lost to. Obviously, The Fugitive had Tommy Lee Jones beating out Ralph Fiennes for supporting actor. Which, honestly, kind of a shock. Just because Schindler's List was so big... And The Fugitive, like I was saying when we watched that movie, incredible film. And I, I, I kind of love the Tommy Lee Jones win, but it is kind of insane that that movie, which doesn't feel like a performance palette, right? Like you don't watch the movie and go, oh yeah, this is like a performance heavy movie, right? Okay. Something like The Piano, which is very performance heavy, or Schindler's List, where they have a lot of meat on that bone. The Fugitive is kind of just a cat and mouse, one guy chasing the other. And he ended up beating Ralph Fiennes. That's kind of crazy. Wow. So that one's a bit of a shocker. I'm trying to look here. I really don't think any other nomination that Schindler's List lost to was from any of the ones we discussed. It would have been from outside films. The mm. Remains of the Day, In the Name of the Father, both had zero wins. Not a single win to either of those films. That's a shame. Yeah, I kind of forgot about that. So there you go. Schindler's List really did take up the bulk of the wins here. Cleaned up. Yeah, it really did. It really did. Uh, when you look at this movie and the nominations it got, what do you think was the biggest thing this film had going for? What was the one award that they had to get in the bag? It was the strongest point of this movie. Hmm. So... I'm going to say it's a little bit of two. I really thought thought the art direction was really good. Um, I mean, well, is that where you would say the black and white came from? Or would that be more of a director's choice? Because I might be mixing up what I really liked about the film. Well, art direction is definitely not black and white. That would arguably be cinematography, but mostly directing. It, was, it would mostly be a Okay, because I was going to say art direction and cinematography. But then I guess I'll say instead, I'll say... I think um what i like the best would be um the directing would be the number one then and then cinematography would go along with it as well i think those are two like really well deserved especially out of the, all of the pictures that we did watch for for this year yeah i think me and you are kind of on the same page with the directing i think that's the strongest this film has going for it because i think every decision that this movie probably made was the correct decision in telling this story uh even though the movie is three hours and 15 minutes uh and it is slow and it is long i feel like it never really loses your interest as a viewer i feel like there's so much going on there's a lot of there's a lot of characters that you kind of watch through and it was amazing how when we saw the jews about two-thirds of the movie all trying to get in on the list and they're going through each one, and me and you are watching this movie going, oh yeah, we recognize that person from this scene, that person from this scene, like every person that's trying to get on this list, we suddenly feel the impact because we recognize all of them as human beings beforehand in any scene that we might have noticed them in previously. Like, it's all connected. It was a really mm -hmm. smart decision. Yeah, no, I was just going to add on. Uh, yeah, I remember pointing that out, being like, oh my God, that's that person and that person. And I think, that's one reason it was so long so you could get connected to all these characters that are on Schindler's list. 
Yeah, and I think the best directing decision and the best moment in the entire movie is the last 15 minutes, which I think is, honestly, that scene alone is worthy of best picture. Like, it was one of the craziest, most creative decisions that I saw in film by having each of the actors in the film leave a rock on the tombstone of Schindler with the real-life person the actor or actress portrayed. Like, that's crazy, the visual representation of who they were when they were stuck in World War II and who they have become and just see how many people are alive to this day leaving a rock on that gravestone. Like, that's that's crazy. I can't believe they did that. Like, that's a crazy mm-hmm. visual yeah. shot. Yeah, I think I cried more in that last 10 minutes than I did the entire film. Oh, it's the it most powerful moment. So impactful, so amazing to see, to see all these people are like still alive. Yeah. And yeah. aside from the girl in the red coat, that's the only moment in the movie that's colored. And mm-hmm. so that really feels the impact that the only time they have color is in the final 15 minutes. It's almost like he decided to shoot it in black and white because it's a historical event. Yep. Like it's in our past. And so it really was a great choice for him to like do that, I think. Yeah. So I agree with you on directing. The other one that I want to touch on, which once again reconnects to the last 15 minutes as well, is the score. I think the score in the movie is really, really I knew good. you were going to say that. Yeah. Well, you know, you know how Obvious. I am. I love scores. <laughs> And I think the score for this is really, really good, especially the last 15 minutes. I think it's why the audience starts crying. It's why you start feeling that. It's like this really sad, depressing music, but yet it's so beautiful at the same time. And it's present throughout the whole movie, um, but they re-address that score. They, they bring that piece back in the final 15 minutes. And I think it's an incredible moment. Everything about the last 15 minutes is genuinely perfect. I think it's really, really great. Uh, but it doesn't, you know, discount the other three hours of this film. I, I think a lot of the decisions and the score and the cinematography, everything about this film is just incredible. And I think that's why this film probably stands the test of time. Even though it's three hours and 15 minutes, you can go up to anybody, mention Schindler's List, and people have heard of it. Um, I did a little test. Because, you know, I, I work with some younger people in the operations. Yeah, you know, I, I work with some oh younger people uh, in my department. You didn't tell me you were doing this. That's hilarious. I wasn't, like, intentional. I, I, I just, you know, they asked me what I watched over the weekend, and I tell them. And then I asked them if they've seen those movies. And they asked me what I watched, and I told them it was Schindler's List. You know, I did ask all of them, and all of them have not seen this movie. So, uh, you know... It's like this almost failed, but they were all like, oh my God, I know of the movie, uh, the, the girl in the red coat. Like people know these people haven't seen the film, but at least they know of it. So, you know, I guess that's a net positive. You know, I don't know if we're these people so have even heard sad. of, uh, yeah, you know, I don't even know if people have, uh, these people probably haven't heard of Remains of the Day. So, you know, I guess it stands a bit of the test of time, but you know, maybe they're just more like you, maybe the... Modern audiences uh, are probably going to be picking an hour and a half movie over a three hour and 15 minute movie. You know, uh, maybe the length is a bit of a deterrent, but uh, I, I do think this is one of those films that everyone does recognize as one of the best films. And, you know, I, I can see why. Do you think Seinfeld had a big part in making this film kind of stay in the zeitgeist of the 1990s? Because that was such a popular show and they had that one episode that had Schindler's List as like a major role in the episode. I don't remember that. When did that happen? Seinfeld, Jerry Seinfeld went on a date to see Schindler's List in the theaters and he made out with a girl during Schindler's List. How distasteful, that, Jerry. <laughs> that's oh my the, God. That's the whole episode. You don't remember? I don't remember this, but I definitely would have judged yeah. him. And Newman sat behind him and told everybody, including his parents, that... Jerry made out with a girl during Schindler's His List. His parents were probably so upset. And they were like, Jerry! Yeah. You can't make out during Schindler's List. No, you can't. Yeah. I don't mean, I think we were sitting with like a pillow between us. Like, you yeah. can't do that. Like, no. wow, I'm shocked. Yeah. So it was like a running joke like, oh, you can make out during a movie, but it better not be Schindler's List. No, <laughs> exactly. It's too serious. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it's one of those films you gotta, you gotta pay attention take seriously yeah it's a very serious film 
Yeah. So, so honestly, whenever I hear Schindler's List, I do always think of Jerry Seinfeld now. It's, it's kind of ruined it for me. What a nut. Yeah, but I do think that's, yeah, you Jeez. know. We'll pretend that had a, con- a contributing factor to its success. So we can kind of go over the story here. I feel like most people are aware of Schindler's List. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, obviously, it's about this guy, played by Liam Neeson, who plays Schindler. And at the beginning, you know, he's maybe this is why Andrew was wondering if he was a good guy or a bad guy. She didn't know. He is a complex character who is morally gray. But, you know, at the end of the day, he's doing things for the right reason. And he might not even realize that he's doing it for the right reason, but he becomes more and more aware of what he's doing and why he wants to do it. And obviously it ends to one of the saddest moments. So one of his final moments in the film but we do see him recruiting and hiring a bunch of Jews to work in his factory because it's cheap labor, right? He, he's going to protect them and they get to work for him. So he gets to, you know, get to make a bunch of pots and pans and bullets. And, you know, he gets to cheap labor to have him do all the work for it. So he's saying that he's doing this because it's cheap labor. And, you know, during tough times, this it's just super easy for him. And, you know, a good business move but he's super close to ben kingsley who we have discussed on the podcast for gandhi who's also incredible in this he's kind of his right hand man and you can kind of tell because of his connection through ben kingsley and he's kind of helped guiding him ben kind of knows exactly why he's doing this but i think it's great that we're having the the first hour is essentially setting up how morally gray schindler is and how Mm -hmm. he truly is a good person and you kind of get his bond with the factory workers or Ben Kingsley or so forth. Yeah. One, one of the best friendships you're ever going to see in film is uh, Liam Nielsen. Sorry, Liam Nielsen. Liam and Neeson. Li- sorry. The, one of the best friendships you're ever going to see in film is Liam Neeson. Nielsen. <laughs> and Ben Kingsley. Uh, you could just call him Liam if you want. Okay, one of the best <laughs> friendships you're ever gonna see in film is Liam and Ben. They literally, sorry, stop making me laugh. Oh my god. I was just laughing because you're being so loud. Oh, sorry. One of the best friendships that is laughing at me. One of the best friendships you are ever gonna see in film is Liam and Ben. That it is so powerful. I think just their bond got me like worked up a couple times just because they are so close. Liam's always there for Ben. Uh, he doesn't want anything bad to happen to him. And you even get one scene where Ben has forgot his papers and Liam literally goes to the train. They have Ben on the train. They're getting ready to take him away. And he basically has to like threaten the guards to have them help him find him and right before the train's about to take off he finds him it's a very powerful moment <laughs> it, very just, powerful. it just shows how close they are yeah yeah it, honestly a lot of this movie is despite being very serious and you know very depressing for most of the film uh I, steven spielberg still has this spielberg charm right you could tell this is still the guy that directed et this is still the guy that did Raiders and Jaws, and Spielberg just has this movie magic with him, right? I've always said he's the best director for blockbusters, and even though know, this is far from a blockbuster, uh, th- this was a worldwide hit, I guess, to an extent. This was a film that everyone watched in the early 90s, and I think it's still because it has that Spielberg magic, right? Like the one scene where he's hiring someone to write for him and he's like leaning in more and more and more for each girl that's typing. And then it like cuts and he's he's like far back in his chair, not even paying attention because the girl typing isn't as attractive and she's absolutely killing and it at she's typing. Smoking. Yeah. Like that's whole like that's just edited and directed so well. It's just such a great, clever joke in the middle of a depressing movie. Or, like you said with the train, when he goes up to those two guys and he's mm-hmm. like, hey, you need to give me my boy Ben Kingsley. He works for me. He's my accountant. I need him here. You're not putting him on this fucking train. They're like, well, he's on the paper. I don't know what to tell you. We, The paper's never wrong. We got to do what the paper says. And he's like, all right, what's your name? What's your name? He like writes it down a little note. He's like, all right, I'll make sure you'll be out of town by the end of the month. 
and then it cuts. In Russia. Yeah, yeah. Then it cuts, and they're both like, Ben Kingsley, they're all of a sudden helping yeah. him out. Like, it's just very witty, very clever. Mm-hmm. Like, this film still feels exciting and fun and magical, despite, you know, obviously being a very depressing film. I feel like he could find that balance that only Spielberg can really do in still making this film watchable, right? Still making this film rewatchable to an extent because it still has little moments like that that kind of keep the characters charming the film charming uh, i i really like the scene and this one doesn't really have much term in it at all is when bing kingsley brings up the guy with the one arm to meet liam neeson and the guy's thanking him for saving his life right he's like thank you for this job you saved my life you have no idea you're a hero like you are truly a hero out here and he leaves the room and Liam is pissed. He yells at Ben Kingsley, never do that again. Never bring someone up here. He has one arm. What's he like? What's he doing helping me out with labor costs? Like he, he, he shouldn't be here. What, like why are you bringing him up here and guilting me? And it's because Ben Kingsley is, you know, he's a very, he knows what he's doing. He brought that guy up uh, to have him thank Liam Neeson over and over for being a hero and for saving his life. So Liam Neeson himself is aware and addressing the truth that he hired him not because he's a good not because he's a great worker but he hired him because he's a good person right like liam neeson is doing what's right and he wanted to kind of point that in his face and so i thought that was a great scene and the fact that liam neeson like snaps and never do that again like he doesn't want that guilt he doesn't want to face the fact that he is saving these people's lives and it's his responsibility to make sure that they're okay and like he's he doesn't, you know, he wants to live in peaceful bliss that what he's doing is just for labor, it's for business. And he, he faced reality that he's a hero right now. He's saving so many people and he doesn't want that responsibility. He just wants to run a business, but he secretly is doing the, the right thing. So there's a lot of moments in the first hour, first hour and a half, where he is kind of facing the reality that he has a lot of responsibility right now and he's doing what's right and he has to. And so I think that that really helps improve this story and him as a character. Like we said, he's morally gray, but he's really not. Like he's At the end of the day, he's just a pure-hearted, good person out, out there in the world of the Nazis. Yeah, yeah. And I think... That's what's interesting. I think I think you do see character growth in Liam. Like, in the beginning, like I said, I wasn't sure exactly, like, where he stood. But by the end, he's a, he's a motherfucking hero. Like, just saying. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He's amazing. And he had quite a bit of character growth. I loved it. So the middle section is really the brutal moments of this movie, and we can touch on it a little bit. Uh, I feel like if you've seen the movie, you already know all this, and if you haven't, you probably want to watch this. This is the stuff that kind of yeah. sticks with you, and really, I don't want to be a huge downer on this podcast. It, it is yeah. tough, but we can kind of touch on it. The Nazis, there's scenes with them killing a bunch of Jews, they're kind of putting them in camps, mm-hmm. they're torturing them, killing them, like it... it it's absolutely insane, just the brutality of this movie. They don't shy away from it. Like, there's so many moments where they pull out a gun and they aim it at one of the Jews, and you just, in your head, you instinctively go, oh, they're going to cut away right before they pull the trigger, right? Like, that's almost almost every movie they pull away, but they don't. They just keep the shot on it, and you see it, and it's it's tough. Like, when they killed the old guy with the one arm that we just talked about with Liam Neeson and Ben Kingsley... Um, they don't pull away from it. And you kind of think they're going to show, you kind of think they are because the mothers are talking to their children, don't look, just don't look up, just just keep looking down at the snow and keep shoveling. And you kind of think, okay, they're kind of telling the audience, like, you're not going to look, like, you're not going to see this. But they do, they, they show it in all of its brutal glory. So it's it's crazy how this film really never shies away from some of these brutal moments. And of course, it almost has to for you to realize how painful this mm-hmm. film is. Yeah, there are just a ton of small moments in this. Uh, We also get introduced to this one gentleman um, who is making parts in his shop. And I believe um, that's whenever Ralph comes in. And Ralph is the bad guy if we haven't touched on that yet. I'm not sure. But basically he comes in and he (laughs) says, I have 
some more um, immigrants coming and, you know, they might be taking your jobs. And he basically times him to see how long it takes him to make a hinge. And this scene is crazy because he, it seems like he does it quick enough. But then I don't remember if he doesn't do it quick enough or Ralph just gets like upset with him. They basically take him outside and they're basically going to kill him. They get him down on his knees and then he Ralph tries to shoot him and the gun just doesn't go off. It's like it's like sticking or something. And he does it like three or four times and they finally just give up. It's such a powerful scene. Like he just barely makes it out with his life and he didn't even really do anything wrong. They're just killing people for no reason whatsoever. Yeah, well that's the brutal part of the scene is he tells them to make this henge mm -hmm. uh, and they are gonna time him because they have some other people that are coming and if he's not making it fast enough, then they're just gonna kill him. And so they put this pressure on him. He is making this as fast as he can he does eventually make it in a pretty quick time, like you said. Yeah. And that's the thing. It was a trap. Because then he goes, oh, well, you did that pretty quick. Why did it take you so long to only make, why did it take you the whole day to only make like 10 of them? That's what it was. Yeah. They pull that thing open yeah. and they look, yeah. yeah. They're like, clearly you can make these fast. Why is yeah. it taking you so long to make them? So they, we're going to kill him. Like literally, if you made it slow, he was going to die. If you made it fast, they were going to go, well, why is it taking you so long to make only this many then clearly they were gonna you're, find a clearly reason. you're slacking yeah he exactly. was it was that moment where him and the audience realized he was dead no matter what mm -hmm. like he had no chance and even though he was dead no matter what and so he had no chance at living it was because of that very reason that that gun wasn't able to get triggered and no matter and for some reason they weren't able to shoot this guy and it was almost like all this unfair luck that he mm -hmm. had like he had no chance at living it was for the very reason that he's getting a second chance at life because of this unfair treatment that he had being a Jew or making these hinges. He mm. he was bored, like, what? He was screwed no matter what? That, that That's not fair. That's not how life should be. Right. So he, all the, it was as if, like, the it was like God himself gave him this second chance. They weren't able to pull the trigger. The gun didn't work. And then we see a scene or two later, he's now working for Schindler. So he now has that second life. He's now saved by Schindler. I thought that that was another really good scene. There's so many. Honestly, you can point to any scene and there's some kind of beautiful correlation to it. I mean, it. and then, well, we might as well just touch on the scene where there's a, a mother and a little girl and they are supposed to run back and go hide under the floor and they take the little girl, but they won't take the mother. And uh, she's coming down the stairs and this little boy, he's only like eight or nine or something like that. And he, he sees her and he just like talks to her like a normal person, not like she's a, like a Jew or anything. And it's a very sweet scene. Getting emotional. It's, so <laughs> it's okay. It's Schindler's anyway, List. You're allowed so, to. So anyway, so he basically gets them to go away because like uh, the rest of the Nazis are coming up to him and he basically is like, oh, I already checked this area. It's okay. And then after that, you see the little girl come back down the stairs to her mother. He has a conversation with the little girl because they're classmates. It's just a very emotional scene. Yeah. That's... Because he tries to help them. He tries to get them in the right line. And it just shows that even though he's like nine years old, he he understands what human life is. Yeah, well, to be fair, uh, the mother and daughter did get, are, are caught by yeah. the Nazis the very next scene. Like they're just shown stuck with the rest of the Jews. Do you think the boy gave them up? I don't. I think he tried to do the right thing. Okay. He just... I mean, they were going to get caught, I figured, anyway. There's so many Nazis everywhere, so I think that's why. Because the very end of the scene, the boy had, like, a look in his eyes, and I thought he was going to trick them. And I was worried that they were actually going to die, but I think it just cut to them being stuck with the rest of the Jews. I thought maybe he just brought them back to, like, the base camp that they were keeping them all in. Mm-hmm. And was like, you belong here or something. But he didn't want them to die. So there's still good in him. He didn't just yeah. let the Nazis come over and kill him. But I, I got the impression that maybe he gave them up. That maybe he's still like relatively controlled by the Nazis. Because these kids are brainwashed. They don't know. Yeah. I like mean, the very first girl, like very early in the movie, right? We saw that girl yelling at them and throwing rocks and saying, be gone Jews, right? Like it's, yeah, it's crazy. These kids are just wild. <laughs> uh, 
one of the very first scenes, you're kind of thrown for a loop, like, oh my god, <laughs> like we're just jumping into this. This is terrible. We really yeah. Are. yeah. We really Well, I also took it that the little boy had a crush on the little girl. I don't know, just kind of how they like were talking to each other, but I could totally be wrong. Yeah, maybe I didn't get that vibe, but uh, we do have the girl in the red coats, mm -hmm. which is one of the most iconic moments of the film i would say heck the cover of the of the movie i have the 4k movie which i don't have but you know i looked into it yeah. uh they, they're they both of the girl with the red coats so a uh, pretty relevant uh, a huge moment of the movie <laughs> it's a three hour and 15 minute movie yeah. and she's in it for like two minutes yeah i thought that like she was more significant but like i mean she is significant yeah. but like the amount of time she is shown in the film is so little mm -hmm. uh but it has such an impactful meaning to it yeah yeah i think i, I think the girl with the red coat is actually perfect i kind of like the minimal time we get to see her and just the red is the only color you see until obviously the last 15 minutes. Like it leaves such a such a punch to the gut, right? When we get to the end of her storyline. I think I, I I think it's a great directing choice once again to have the only color in the film being this red coat. I loved it a lot. Uh, there's a lot about this movie that I really like, especially the directing. Uh, was there anything else really about this movie that you wanted to touch on before we can kind of get to like near the end when Schindler has his final moment? Is there anything else you kind of wanted to talk about? Yeah, um, one of the moments that really sticks out to me and it's quite a disgusting moment is when you kind of just see how power hungry, what a terrible person Ralph is as a character he is literally has his shirt off he's on a balcony oh, and yeah. he decides he's just gonna start sniping people because he can because he is empowered over the jews and it's just such a powerful disgusting scene watching him just freaking kill people that are literally one lady's sitting on stairs just kind of taking a break and then the other person is just in the middle of a field and he decides he's just gonna blow their heads off like it's just wild to me how ruthless like he just doesn't care for like human life even though he saw the jew the jewish as not really being human like they were it's just the it was the worst scene in the film i think or close to one of the worst I agree. It's it's a scene that you'll definitely remember. For the audience listening, you could turn this podcast into a drinking game. Every time Andrew says the word "powerful," you take a drink. I, I think no. that's a good. <laughs> I think that's it. Do that. <laughs> well, we'll, I'll be really drunk. Yeah, that's, that's no true. Problem. Yeah, that's true. I take it back, guys. But um, yeah, I think that Ralph finds is a pretty good villain. I, I think he's really good. I, I am. I'm still stunned that Tommy Lee Jones beat him from The Fugitive. Like, this just feels like such an Oscar role, right? Ralph Fiennes, he's a beloved actor. He's amazing. Does he win an Oscar? Like, he lost this. Was was this his closest to winning? I think so. Probably. Yeah, well, I wonder I if it was a so. shock. Obviously, you really need to get into... You have to have been there to know what the feeling was going into the Oscar night, right? Like, people might not have realized how huge of an underdog story Coda was to beating the power of the dog, right? You have to have been there to to appreciate it. And so I wonder if Tommy Lee Jones was, you know, a, a clear front runner the whole time or if Ralph Fiennes did have some momentum because he definitely feels like he's a pretty crazy villain in this film. Like, he's, he's pretty nuts. So I'm kind of shocked he didn't pull out the win here. But, you know, he doesn't need a win. He, he, he was really good in this film and he doesn't need the accolade to tell him otherwise I, I thought he was great in a terrible way you know <laughs> he is a terrible villain very bad villain but yeah. like in a good like bad good way if that makes sense yep all right uh, so going into the last scene of this movie where we're going to try and keep this relatively short if you haven't seen the movie definitely check it out um but if you have seen it uh you know you probably already know most of the details so we can, we can kind of gloss over some of this but let's do talk about the ending of Schindler. Because mm -hmm. I think his final moments are incredible. And when I say the last 15 minutes is the best 
piece of cinema ever. Like, like I think it's incredible. Like, I, we could almost say, like, the last 40 minutes, really. Like, exceeding it back to the black and white, to Schindler saying goodbye. He has everybody up in a room, and he tells them all that the Nazis have lost, the war is over, they will all be free by midnight, and he wants to spend the rest of his night with them, but then he's going to unfortunately have to flee, because he is a Nazi that held Jews prisoner, in a sense. He was involved, and he is now a bad guy. And so it's this beautiful moment. Then they go on the train tracks, right? Mm -hmm. And this is where it gets even more beautiful. Uh, Obviously, we have Ben Kingsley and all the other Jews. They have a list. They have their own list. You know, most of the movies about Schindler's list. Now there's the Jews list, which is a list, once again, of all their names. And they tell him, if you get caught, show them this list. Show them this sheet of paper. It has all of our names signed on it to tell them that you're a good person, that you saved our lives. And so Schindler has this beautiful moment where he's like crying and hugging Ben Kingsley and saying, I could have done more. I could have saved more people. And he has probably one of the saddest moments of the whole movie. He's like pointing at his car and he's like, four lives. That's four lives this car is worth. And then he points at this pin and he goes, this pin is pure gold. This is two lives. This is two lives I could have saved. I, like, because in the whole movie, if you guys watch, his way of saving them is he like bribes the Nazis to give him some Jews to work for him. So he gives up his watch. He, and you see the stuff that he's giving up. It's the stuff that he has, right? He has this watch that he loves. He gives that up to get some lives. He gives up his pen. He gives up all of this, you know, commercial value. It's just silly things that you don't need in your life, right? Like a watch, a pen, like these are just, these aren't necessities. It's not as necessary as living, as saving someone's life and so to him he'll give that up but of course now that the moment is over now that the nazis have lost and all these lives have been saved he doesn't look at all the people he saved all these thousands of people and realize what great work he's done in his mind he can't stop thinking of the torture of the pain that the nazis caused you know how many lives were lost because of this travesty and so he just keeps going on and on about how this could have this could have saved more lives. This could save more lives. I should, like why did I not give this up? And he blames himself. You know, at the very beginning, he's pretending that he has no relation to what's going on out there in the real world. He's like, well, I'm not part of that. I'm just working a factory. And he has a complete 180 where he's now telling everybody, it's my fault. I could have done more. And so to have that complete 180 of his mindset. It's crazy. It's a really great moment. Yeah. That's what I say. Like, when you see the character growth, it's all basically to build up to this last scene that has Liam in it. And it's, once again, it's powerful. Oh, take (laughs) Um, a drink. Exactly. (laughs) Um, And it really just shows how human he is and how much, like, he did want to help save the Jews. And... I'm. I was a huge fan of it. You're. It, it's probably one of the best moments in film. I agree with you on that. I think he killed it. He he ended the film on the correct note. And then let's go ahead and just talk about the counterpart where we see Ralph basically being hung. Yep. Because they caught him because he's a Nazi. And you just see, like, the polar opposites, which is kind of nice. Yeah. Yeah, I like that we don't see Schindler die. Me too. I like that. We get to see Ralph Fiennes die. And I don't know why, but it's always funny to me that they kept kicking that stool that he was standing on to hang him. And they just couldn't kick it. for like <laughs> That was so funny, actually. So I forgot times. about yeah. that. They kicked it, like, five times before it actually fell. Yeah. At first, I thought it was unintentional. I thought, wow, I guess they just kept all this in, them trying to kick the stool. But it it feels completely intentional now because Schindler, even though we don't see him die, he has this honorable send-off, right? He gets this heroic send-off and finds gets this goofy, stupid kill. Like, after all of his glory, after him thinking he's on top and he's untouchable, he gets like this pathetic, oh my God, like, it's like, yeah. oh, look at Charlie Chaplin trying to kick down a stool. Like, it's just yeah. over-the-top goofy to an extent of him dying it like it just looks pathetic and bad and so it is kind of hilarious that that's how he went out 
And then, of course, we get the gravestone where they're all dropping the rocks off, which is honestly, in my, my opinion, one of the greatest scenes in film ever. Like, like I, I can't believe how incredible that translated to film. Yeah. I thought it was incredible. Was, so, yeah. I was so happy with it. I think we watched it twice because I wanted to go back through and see yeah. all the characters with their... Uh, with the people and the actual people and I I think I could watch it again and again just because it's it's uh, once again so powerful and emotional <laughs> yeah and then when the camera pans to all the rocks on That's the tombstone and I don't know if you noticed this but the very end of everybody dropping the stones off mm-hmm. Liam Neeson is looking down at the grave did you see that no so when they all drop the oh, rocks wow. off the last per yeah so everybody drops the rocks off and then it pans down and you see all the rocks on this on the gravestone we do the camera pan of the gravestone that has all these rocks Mm -hmm. and then the last shot of the movie is liam neeson looking down at the gravestone and just seeing all the rocks all the lives that he has saved and then the film cuts to black it's the very last shot of the movie I also thought that was a great directing decision of having Liam Neeson's final moment not being regret, but looking at all the people he saved, looking at the difference he made. And I just thought that was a great choice because we still got that great moment of him having regret of the choices that he yeah. made. And we still, you know, we kind of had our cake and ate it too. We, we kind of got the best of both worlds. We had that beautiful moment of him self-realizing you know, what it was to be a Nazi. And then we had that final moment of him realizing he was good. And so I mm-hmm. thought that that was the balance of both that they, you know, did a good job mm-hmm. handling. And so I just thought the ending was probably perfect. Would you say this might arguably be the most perfect ending you would get for a movie? I'm trying to think of a movie that ends stronger. And maybe that's why this movie's just like so well liked. Like when the, you know, after three and a half hours, you kind of walk out going, fuck that's a movie right like like that's such a powerful ending that that whole last 30 Everyone plus minutes needs to drink. Oh, yeah oh there you go yeah <laughs> anyone take a drink boom yeah so you know i thought that was a great ending to the movie and overall i you know i thought Schindler's List was great you don't need our podcast to tell you Schindler's List is great mm-hmm. everyone knows that it's very good absolutely love it and now that you brought up the ending where liam nelson where Liam is looking down at their gravestone. That's awesome. That's such an awesome ending. I want to kind of like watch it again to see that for myself. I can't believe I didn't see that. Let's watch the ending a third time. Let's go. (laughs) Okay, let's go. All right. Well, speaking of Liam or Liam Neeson, uh, what was your thoughts on him as the best actor? I'm obsessed. I loved him. He was amazing. It's honestly a really hard call between him and Harrison Ford. I loved Harrison Ford in The Fugitive. No, well, Harrison Ford wasn't even nominated. I know, but I loved him. Anyway, so yeah, he killed it and he 100% deserved this. He just really showed like what kind of actor he is. He just completely threw himself into this role and I'm here for it. Yeah. Let's be real here. This is arguably the strongest best actor lineup ever, right? We had Daniel Day-Lewis for In the Name of the Father, mm-hmm. Anthony Hopkins for Remains of the Day, mm-hmm. Liam Neeson for Schindler's List, and they all lost to Tom Hanks for Philadelphia, which we're probably going to watch later this week before we do Wild. the yeah before we do the best of you know before we do our own award ceremony, which is the next podcast. Uh, you know, I think we'll try and watch Philadelphia before that just to maybe make our final comparison on the best actor lineup. But he took down three incredible actors and three incredible performances. Uh, well, we know Liam Neeson being an incredible actor, you know. Yeah. You know, that's up for debate, I guess. But Anthony Hopkins, Daniel Day-Lewis, these three films and their performances are really, like, if any of them won, you would walk away and go, what a good fucking winner. Like, what a, what a great performance. So it's kind of crazy that... This is how strong the lineup was. You know, uh, modern years, I feel like the best actor lineups have been kind of weak compared to the best actress lineups. But this year, I think the actors were pretty freaking strong. They were solid, for yeah. sure. And then the second nomination for the acting was for supporting actor for Ralph Fiennes. We kind of already touched on that. And we kind of made a comparison to him and Tommy Lee Jones. 
which were the only two nominations for supporting actor from these five films. So that's our discussion for Schindler's List. Um, since this did win Best Picture, let's kind of compare this to all the other Best Picture winners that we've had so far in our discussion. This is this is film number ten mm-hmm. of the Best Picture winners. Uh, this is our tenth year. We finally wrapped it up. I guess we'll officially wrap it up when we get to the ceremony. Nice. But this is our tenth year. So this mm-hmm. is our number ten, double digits now for the Best Picture lineup. For those that haven't been following us all the way to catch up, we have King's Speech, Going My Way, Driving Miss Daisy, Oliver, Gandhi, Wings, Rocky, Kramer v. Kramer, The Deer Hunter, and now Schindler's List. For this lineup, it pretty much follows all the ones that we've discussed. It's an acting nom, directing nom, editing nom, screenplay nom. It kind of has the works. You know, they, they all kind of follow the same group. Of nominations i think the only outliers wings is an outlier for all of them and driving miss daisy didn't get directing but aside from that uh pretty much all the same they pretty much have all matched up for everything but since we are now at 10 and andrew you have noted you know off recording i've been working on sorting through a giant list that i've been working through an excel sheet mostly just for fun but also mostly for business for this podcast yeah um i'm going through all the movies that we watch during this podcast for the best picture nominations and winners i've been putting them all in a collective list here because you know we're now at 10 years in we kind of now have a giant list that we have to sort through whenever we compare these movies and so i kind of want to get a visualization of this and i kind of want your opinion as well i have been ranking all of the best picture winners that we have been reviewing so far so I have a ranking of these 10, uh, and I'm not really asking for the ranking. I'm just curious, what's your favorite of these 10? Is there one that really sticks out as your favorite best picture winner from this group? I have to look. <laughs> oh my God. There are some really good ones on this that we watch. Yeah. You know, best picture gets so right. It makes it hard to say. Um, I'm a huge fan of Rocky. I don't know. It would honestly probably be between... Rocky, Kramer vs. Kramer, on Schindler's List. I like all three of those a lot. And then there are, like, are a ton of runners-up. Like, I really enjoy the King's Speech as well. And I like the Deer Hunter, which is shocking. No, it's <laughs> not that it shocking. Good. <laughs> it's not shocking. That's one of the most beloved movies I ever. mean, growing up, my grandma really liked Driving Miss Daisy, so oh, I was yeah. super excited to watch that again. But it doesn't hold up as well against some of these other these other winners. Yeah, tough competition. It did have some tough competition, definitely. But I think the director could have made some different director choices in Driving Miss Daisy. So, yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, I guess we're kind of on the same page. I didn't realize we'd have the same top three. But I have like a huge gap, actually. It's kind of insane when looking at the list, uh, the gap that I have between my top three winners and the rest of them. There's about 40 movies of all the films that we've watched from over Mm -hmm. the last uh, 10 years. Uh, I guess 40 is maybe a little too long. Uh, Close to 30, though. Movies in between the top three and the rest of the winners. Mm-hmm. I have Rocky, Kramer v. Kramer, and Schindler's List near the top. And then there's like a good 30 in between those three and then number four. So it's kind of crazy. Yeah, I've, oh, wow. I'm kind of with you. Those three seem set in stone for me. <laughs> it's funny we have the same ones. Yeah, I, uh, I thought maybe you might have Deer Hunter up there because I know you really liked that one. I but, did like it, yeah. but I like those three definitely more than Deer Hunter. Yeah, it's a strong three. Yeah. So that's everything on our end. We will have the ceremony soon. Uh, clearly, we both love Schindler's List. Will it be dethroned, though, from one of the other four nominations? We did like a lot of the other movies on there. You know, I can't speak on Andrew's behalf, but The Fugitive, Remains of the Day, In the Name of the Father, The Piano. Like th- This is a strong group. This is a very strong year. Like, honestly, I love them all. Every time we watch a new one, I'd be like, oh, no, that's my favorite. Oh, no, that's my favorite. Yep. And it really changed a lot for me. Um, I still really love The Fugitive. It was just like such a nonstop movie the entire time. You never knew what was going to happen. I was on the edge of my seat. 
But then you also have remains of the day, which I enjoy too. Even though it, it kind of got buried because that was the first one we watched. So I kind of forgot about it. Still strong. Anthony Hopkins held it together. Of course he did. It's Anthony Hopkins. Yeah. So the last question we have is, what is your storyboard for Schindler's List? So for those of you that haven't seen the podcast, we do a little storyboard where we kind of give a two to three sentence elevator pitch to summarize the movie. Me first? You first. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm going to go something simple. There's a good guy. There's a bad guy. Good guy flees, gets away. Bad guy gets hung. Well, <laughs> yeah, sounds good. Um, I guess it's hard to do for this one because like, it's hard to make a joke one when it's something so serious. Yeah. Um, I'm going to go Schindler's got a list and... He's checking it twice. And he's checking it twice. <laughs> uh, going to find out if they're naughty or nice. And the Jews have a list for him at the end. I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's tough to make Whoa. a joke. Um, you know. I thought you were going to say the Jews are on the good list. Yeah, well, you know. Obvious. Yeah, I don't even need to mention that, Andrew. That's a waste oh. of breath. Of course they're on the Sorry. good list. Are you oh. kidding me? Wow. All right, so that's everything on our end. We will have the Oscar ceremony in just a few weeks' time where we will award the winner, in our opinion, of the Best Picture nominees. And then, of course, we'll end with the next year that we are going to be discussing. You're just going to pick another year to throw on there. And, you know, uh, it's going to be hard to top. Andrew picked this year. This was a pretty good year. This is the best year I think we've done. Oh, well. Yes. It's quite a claim. All right, Just we'll saying. see you guys later. Go watch Chandler's List, bye. <laughs>